Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 46th episode of Career Podcast. Today, I'm joined with Scott, Scott Fickman. Thickman? Oh, oh, sorry. I already mispronounced okay. it. I'm sorry. It's all right. You're good. <laughs> Scott Thickpen. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's a visual developer and illustrator from Austin, Texas, from the United States. And before we move on to the questions, I just need to quickly point out one thing um, to the listeners who, are, who might be listening to this episode is that today is uh, the record. The date that we're recording this episode right now, episode 46, is 19th of March. And as a lot of you might know, or if you haven't known, that's the reason I'm trying to remind, is that the 14th of March was the anniversary of the podcast. And because of that, I started to give Photoshop course giveaway that is still, is you, you can still enter and you have like two days. You There's two days remaining. On the 6 p.m. plus 3 GMT, I'm going to announce the winner of the results on March 21st. And so, I mean, there's still a chance if you haven't still entered and you wanted to, or if there's someone else or friend who might be interested, uh, you can check the post or in the Instagram of the Courier Podcast page. And with all of that out of the way, let's get to the questions. All right, first question. Um, give us a little introduction on how we got into visual arts and design. Sure. Uh, just like probably every other artist, uh, when I was a kid, I picked up pencil and paper and loved it uh, and drew my heart out all the time. And then I went to college. I, I did not go to college for, for art. Um, and uh, I was sort of went another direction. And after college, uh, I, I was just miserable and wanted to um, move into, well, I actually just wanted to be an animator. I, I mean, like any kid, I wanted to, you know, that was infatuated with Disney. Uh, they, you know, that's what I wanted to do was Disney animation. And so that didn't pan out really well. I, I, I made a portfolio and I sent it to 35 studios and this is back in the nineties. So there was no like send a link. You sent a physical portfolio and I got 30, 36 uh, re- rejects uh, at the same time. So uh, it was, it was very humbling at first. Uh, I started doing illustrations just to, you know, show people and, and the web was starting to take off a little bit so you could have an online presence, but you still send it by oddly enough facts. Uh, and so, uh, I had a, a friend that worked at, uh, at a large bank in town and said, well, we're looking to somebody to do t-shirt designs for our, our annual picnic. And they, they paid well. And I did that for a few years, uh, doing their t-shirt designs. And then that, became a whisper to another client that came to another client. And over time, I just sort of built, I mean, it was a lot of hard work, but it, it, you know, I sort of built a word of mouth that I did illustrations. And so I did that for, for quite some time. Um, and, uh, it was that it, it, it was interesting and, and just, uh, you know, I, I felt like I was just tripping through, uh, time into the next job to the next one. So that's kind of how that went. All right. And um, actually, funny enough, I one of the things that I really love about uh, in one of the fields of design and fashion design is I love t-shirt design, like designing immersive design, mm-hmm. especially t-shirt design. Like that's one of my main things. And like, yeah, it's, it's such a limited canvas, like, you know, as you could say, like t-shirts, mm-hmm. but there's so much, you know, creativity and possibilities in just design of stuff for it, you know, mm-hmm. they're really cool. And um 
Were you originally studying art and design or you were pursuing another career path? Let's say when I assume when your high school is finished or you were going to college or maybe mm -hmm. after college, like how was the journey for you in that regard? <laughs> wow. Uh, so um, academically, I'm terrible. Like I, I barely eked by in, in all academic classes. Um, when I got to college, it was a constant struggle. You know, if I was in English class, I was, you know, doodling. But uh, the environment I was in and grew up in lended more to doodling doesn't make you any money. So the whole starving artist, which is kind of a load of hooey. Um, I, I moved into, I, I was like, well, I don't know what to major in. So I decided to major in religion and philosophy. So I took four years of Greek and four years of Hebrew and did lots and lots of uh, studies on, uh, uh, you know, different philosophers and just multitudes of classes in that when I was never happy. But I learned a lot. You, you uh, both those, um, both those fields teach you about critical thinking, which is super helpful later on. Uh, and I think... I think what really changed my path in college was um, my philosophy teacher in our senior year said two things that really have still stuck with me. And that, that's like almost 30 years ago now. Um, and the first was you learn more and more about less and less to ultimately know you know nothing. And the second one is he said, you don't go to college to make millions of dollars. You go to college to learn. And I, I successfully did that. Um, so when I graduated uh, college, I had a brief stint in grad school and couldn't stand it, dropped out. And just I just wasn't happy unless I was drawing. Uh, if I had a pencil in my hand, I got to draw. It was great. Uh, if I did anything else, which I did a ton of monotonous uh, dead-end jobs uh, to keep afloat, it, I, um, you know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't happy or fulfilled, but I don't know anybody that's happy or fulfilled in a dead-end job to begin with. But um, it, uh, it, it was, it, college just was a, a good time of learning, but it wasn't after that until I realized, you know, there's some practical applications, uh, to art and how to, how to actually make money at it or be, you know, be fi funded by your own, own craft and love. So, uh, so college had a pretty pivotal point for learning, not so much for art, any elective I could take at college. I took an art class, but it wasn't until afterwards I got really serious. So kind of got started a little later on that. Wow. I mean, that's actually interesting. I never, we, I never had anyone. That's the first on the show, actually, that someone yeah. who, because I had a lot of people who, of course, they didn't first initially start with art, art kind mm -hmm. of like, you know, direction but uh like it, it's very interesting that you started with philosophy and uh mm -hmm. theology studies like mm -hmm. i'm sure that it's in a sense inspired you in your works like later on like those type of oh. you know writings and stuff like mm -hmm. that all right pretty cool and um with that out of the way what is your main branch of design that you're focusing on and tell us about your experience from the start of it until now Sure. I hope you have about six hours for this. Uh, okay. So um, when I started out, uh, there was not much to um, computers. I mean, you, there was like, like I can remember Photoshop version one. 
uh, which was, you know, you'd load up an image, it crashed, you'd load up an image, it crashed. Of course, it's no different in Photoshop 2021. It still loads up and crashes, but that's another story. Uh, anyway, uh, what um, went, what, what I started doing that sort of was the hook is I didn't learn uh, like my sketching ability when I first started out was pretty terrible. My, my concepts, I could, you know, create something in my head, but I couldn't really, I wasn't really good with executing um, images very well. So uh, I learned Adobe Illustrator, which is a vector-based program. and use, uh, use a, uh, you know, almost a point and click to make your art. And I had fallen in love with like the flat, design of stuff. There's an artist that I admire called Josh Agle and his, he goes by Shag. Uh, so his last two letters of his la- first name and first two letters of his last name create S-H-A-G and you can just go to his site, I think Shag.com. But uh, Josh did a really flat poppy 50 style and I was just mesmerized by it. So I would always draw my work that way. And uh, over time, and this is between working tons and tons of dead end jobs. And so, uh, in my spare time, there was a, there was a forum cause there was no, there was no social media at the time. So there was a online forum called the drawing board. It was run by Shane Glines who, uh, had a hand in some of the Batman and Kim possible stuff, him and Bruce Tim, uh, worked together. And in that board, anybody could join, but there were a lot of really good animators and illustrators through that. And we all sort of kind of bonded. We'd have a drawing challenge each week. And so I would enter the drawing challenge and I would use that piece as a portfolio piece. And I'd put that piece in my, in my paper portfolio and I'd send it out to various uh, agents and art directors. And um, I, I would usually get nothing back, but there was one, I guess I'd been doing this for, off and on for about two or three years. And one day uh, I got an inquiry from an agent who said, we'd love to work with you. Uh, we think your work is neat and unique. And this is oversending tons of stuff. And I said, well, that's great. And I was about to sign on with them. And then another agency m- messaged almost like two days later saying, no, we want to represent you. And uh, it was just a, all of a sudden, you know, I went from just barely making any money uh, and having to scramble for anything to actually, you know, having to turn jobs down because I couldn't, you know, I was, I was getting fed so much work. The big, big one for me was I got a call. My, my agent at the time reached out to the Wall Street Journal and said, look at this guy's work. And then I got a call from the Wall Street Journal saying, we'd love to work with you. And that was a very long and great relationship uh, with a with a big company that, you know, it, it's sort of like stepping stone. Once you got to that point, it was easy to kind of climb to the next level and the next level. So nothing has no good story doesn't have a few drama bits in it. So things were going great uh, for me. And I was making enough money that I could uh, kind of finance everything and I didn't have to work dead end jobs anymore and I could move up from eating Raymond noodles to uh, at least the deluxe box of Raymond noodles Um, and so things were good and then the 2007 recession happened and I had invested so much time in print media that all uh, my clients within about two months went belly up 
even when Rupert Murdoch bought the Wall Street Journal, he came in and just cleaned house. And the art directors I had there and, and other various places, they just, they just went out of business. Also in 2007, the iPhone uh, was introduced, blogging was on the rise, and print media was just dying. Um, and now it's kind of a novelty to, to even have print media. I mean, I can't tell you the last time I bought a magazine. So there was a lot of period of scrambling. I learned how to code, so I learned how to do websites, which led into a, a career of uh, teaching at a university for a little while and then moving on to UX uh, to the point where it was the same thing. I just wasn't happy. Uh, so my wife and I talked about it and financially we were okay for me to roll off. And I have resigned and I have been working tirelessly to rebuild a portfolio in a new style and a new fashion and try once again to enter into the animation uh, industry, which is uh, like a very high walled castle. But uh, I have a mentor from Netflix animation that uh, helps me every other week uh, try to put together better pictures and better portfolio. And that would catch me all the way up to 2021. I've skipped a bunch, but that's kind of those, those, those are the highlights. Yeah. And, um, so it was your, when you said you started learning coding, um, I assume it was like, and you said you went on for user experience. So it was front end mm -hmm. development in a sense, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, so that was kind of your first time, yeah, like coding anything, right? Like your first oh, yeah. 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 It was hell on earth. <laughs> I couldn't stand it, but. But I can now read and recognize JavaScript, and uh, I mean HTML, CSS is not a no, not foreign mm. words to me. So anything front end, I'm due. I just I hated every minute of it because um, <laughs> uh, I, I am not yeah. a coder at all, and my code was never production ready, and it was full of bugs, and so it never worked well. But it was enough to kind of get me by in tight times. Pretty good. Pretty good. I mean, I just, I sometimes when I have people on and they say, and I figure out they're, they're kind of like multidisciplinary, even at some, you know, basic sense, you know, I always try to highlight that because the more I highlight it, the more it kind of reinforces the fact that, um, because you know how usually the, the whole psychology of young people, especially, I mean, I used to fall into the same trap myself. I mean, I, I'm still pretty young. What am I talking about? Um, but what I'm trying to say is that, um, People like think, for example, they make a mountain out of nothing, you know, when they want to learn something. That's what I'm trying mm -hmm. to say. Sorry if my words mm -hmm. aren't connecting quite well. <laughs> but, no, you're good. But like, I mean, you can, like you said, you have to be just learn just one area. I mean, yeah, it's good to focus, mm -hmm. get laser focus on one thing. I mean, that's basically in, in the end what kind of you should do if you want to be successful at anything. But you can easily like learn multiple different like fields like audio editing video editing web development all of them you can just be one man army of your whole show mm -hmm. and yeah i mean that's pretty good to know and um all right how does your design process usually go anytime you want to start working on a project sure uh so there's been a constant uh since so I started in the 90s. I know I look like I'm 21 or 19, but I'm a little bit older than that. Uh, so the design process has been the same. There's been a, a, a constant across, well, three-ish decades now, uh, which is a resource gathering time um, when I would get a brief from a client. Uh, like one time in Atlanta, I used to live in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, 
the Atlanta Magazine said, hey, we want you to do a cover. It's, uh, it's for finding love in the town. And this is pre-dating uh, apps. So uh, there was ways you could kind of meet people online, but it was still kind of creepy and well, hell, it's creepy and weird now. But I mean, it's less creepy and weird. But anyway, uh, they they said, can you come up with some concepts for a cover for that on how to meet people online? And I said, sure, yeah. So uh, since the dawn of any search engine, that has been like my best friend uh, to be able to pull resources and. Um, you know, you, you just you look over tons of stuff for that. And then once I kind of have a mood board done, uh, I'll, you know, it used to be you'd print them out and kind of, uh, you know, tack them up on a wall. But now I actually have an app that I use that uh, that I just put all my images uh, to a second screen. And I look at it and I try to write down some keywords of what I see. Um, you know, obviously I'll look at the brief and it says, uh, you know, it says we we're looking for something bright and poppy and we need it funny. Then I'll look at actually what, what makes funny colors, you know, what, what makes people, what would make people giggle, uh, lots and lots of bad puns and tons and tons of stuff just into a virtual garbage can. I mean, uh, there's, you know, there's things that sound so great and then it doesn't work or uh, this would be a great concept, but I get to draw on it and it doesn't work. So lots of stuff thrown in the garbage. And then after the resource gathering, I'll do a series of thumbnails, sometimes really lazy and I'll just pick one or two, but I try to stick to 50 uh, per project. Um, I'm not really worried about uh, doing things over and over. I'm just, I mean, it's just kind of been habit, but I'll pick around 50 uh, or I'll draw around 50 uh, for one concept and then I'll look at it and see what appeals to me. If it's for me, I kind of just pick one and stick with it. If it's for a client, uh, I usually deliver three uh, rough drafts and say, this is my, this is where my head's at. This is what I think it's going to look like. And then I get feedback from a client and we go through a, a revision period. And then after that, it's just put on some good music and put your head down to the screen and turn, try to turn Wi-Fi off and leave social media alone and, uh, and work. Uh, but the harder part has always been the idea phase and the resource gathering. Um, just because you, it's kind of like, you know, a book with no words and you got to write it, you know, fill it up. It's just, it's tough. Uh, and, uh, but that, that does help because once you do have all your resource gathered, you're able to, um, you're able to kind of see a bigger picture and you can have those aha moments um, or I call them shower thoughts. You know, you've looked mm -hmm. at something so long and you're taking a shower and going, Oh, I could totally do that. Um, and then, you know, the idea is there. So that's the way I look at it is a lot of, a lot of resource, a lot of resource gathering and then the thumbnail period and then the back and forth with the client or, or yourself and then just the execution, which is just work a lot of, a lot of clicking and, and drawing. Yep. That sums it up pretty well. And, um, all right, next question. Um, now in this section of the podcast, I want to ask you about some of your works in particular, and maybe some sure. other miscellaneous stuff about your works. Um, so okay. one thing that caught my eye on your Instagram profile was, um, well, first sentence in your bio, I can always tell when movies use fake dinosaurs. Like, I mean, yes. it's, it's really fun. Like, 
it, it completely portrays like a part, a main part of your personality, I guess. And I think in a review of someone from Wall Street Journal and kind of mentioned your um, sense of humor and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it's good to know. And also, all right, now the main thing I want to ask: clients include Wall Street Journal, DreamWorks, and Condé Nast. Mm-hmm. If I if I don't, Condé Nast. Uh, yeah, Condé Nast. Uh, they're they're. Uh... Well, actually, they own Reddit now, but uh, for the longest time, they were just a magazine publisher. All right. And could you tell us a bit about the, your experience working with these companies? Sure. Uh, so the Wall Street Journal, most awesome time I've ever had. Uh, would it, I think all the art directors are gone that I worked with at the time, that it was it was always a big rush, uh, like to the point where it was so much fun. Uh, they would usually call in a panic around four and they're like, Hey, listen, we have this concept. We need to have it approved by five. Can you get us three sketches in an hour? And I would dive into it. And, um, and then they would at about five o'clock, they'd have a meeting. We'd be back and forth. And then they would say, okay, do this one. And we need it by eight in the morning because uh, we got to go to print by nine. And so it was, you know, uh, how much coffee can I drink? And it was an all nighter to pull it up. It was always so much fun. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I, it, I ended up making a lot of friends that way uh, through that. And, uh, and it just, yeah, that one was a rush. The big one was, uh, DreamWorks and uh, most specifically Shrek. So every time I say that, people will uh, put in their own implications. Like I was this big hotshot that worked, you know, danced around with Eddie Murphy and Mike Myers, which is not the case. So uh, here's the better story to getting to work for the big green ogre. Um, in the 90s, uh, that drawing board place I mentioned, uh, all of us would get together and everybody was fairly, I mean, there was a few people that were like lowly uh, production assistants at like Nickelodeon or the Muppets. And, uh, you know, you would, uh, some people were, uh, you know, trying to get into like their own illustration group or, or trying to become animators. I mean, everybody was really fresh and green. But I made a lot of friends that way. Like it was my only art friends at the time. And so uh, that was like 97, 98. uh, And, you know, you just like anywhere on any social media or any groups, you get to become closer friends with some people. And there was a guy named John that uh, said, you know, hey, I love your work. uh, And man, I hope we can work together in the future sometime. And I was like, sure. Yeah. You know, I, I love, uh, you know, bouncing ideas off with you in the well as well. And so a few years later, he called and said, Hey, you remember me? I said, yeah. And he said, well, I'm working at an agency. I own one. And there's a client of mine that, uh, you, I, I'd love for you to do the overflow work because, or they need an extra hand because they need somebody good with Adobe Illustrator. And I was like, oh, sure. Yeah, well, that's me. I know it backwards and forwards. And they said, well, it's an NDA. So I need you to sign it before we can tell you who the client is. And I was like, okay, sure. I'll not say a word. And it's like, well, it's DreamWorks and it's Shrek. So after I screamed and ran around the house and was dancing for joy, uh, here's the, the part. It's still, I still got to work for DreamWorks. I still got to work on Shrek. 
the part I was tasked with was help, uh, like in the very first Shrek, where he's sitting on the toilet and he's flipping through the storybooks, and there's all the pages of the of the nursery rhymes on there. They needed extras for the interactive trivia game that went on to the DVD at the end of the movie, back when DVDs would have like those fun little hokey games and stuff. So that's what I got to work on. I did get to go to L.A. I was in Atlanta when I was when I got the job. I did get to go to L.A. I did get to hang out with some people, but there was no I mean, I was like a lowly peon in the lowest of low. low. I mean, I didn't even get to go to the DreamWorks station. I had to work at our the the their headquarters. I worked at aware like at their studio and then they would send the files over to get the game ready. Uh, but after I finished the job, I was like, so I do get to say I work for DreamWorks. And they're like, yep. And I was like, and Shrek. And they're like, yep. I was like, okay, sure. I'll take it. Uh, so that was a, that was fun. It was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it's just that it was not, it, it wasn't as like, I always look at like animators. They just kind of hop on their little cloud and they, they float to work where they all kind of sing together and they're happy and have a good time. I'm sure that is not the case. Um, whatsoever and it was not for me either it was like you know go into a room with a bunch of cubicles and sit down and do your work and uh, put on some headphones and tune out everybody for eight hours um the uh, uh condé nast so condé nast ran uh tons of magazines like modern bride and teen magazine uh, vogue uh mary claire and at the time, I was doing little spot illustrations for uh, various small magazines that wanted me to do their horoscopes. Like, you know, it'd be like, you're going to, you're Scorpio and this is going to be your month to find love, blah, blah, blah. And I would do these little ones. And uh, over time, they got, um, you know, an art director would tell an art director who would tell an art director. And then you'd end up getting uh, work that way. Or you'd have one art director at one place that you'd worked with and you'd gotten to pre- be pretty good friends with, and then they'd move to a bigger firm and they would just take all the artists with them. And that that's the way I would do with that. Magazines were my favorite of all time because it usually took a month to do. So you get your brief on Monday of like the first, uh, and then they were like, well, it's due by the 15th or the 20th. Um, and we need, you know, your vision, your, you know, there'd be a period of mail them your rough drafts. They come back, say, that's great. And then, um, then you would do the cleanups and then they say, well, we need to revise this. And so through all those, the common thread has always been to be extremely kind to everybody, uh, especially in a, in an art world where things are pretty small. So I never burned any bridges. Um, I would put my foot down if there was ever, um, if there was ever a time where I was getting screwed over. But for the most part, if you're really kind to clients, um, they tend to want to work with you. Uh, if you are like, like Superman at drawing, but like a complete cocky asshole, I don't know if you can say that jerk, go back and edit that jerk. Uh, <laughs> no, it's fine. But, it's um, fine. It's fine. You can okay. say anything if on the podcast. Okay. Well, if you're a complete jerk, uh, like that, um, then, uh, you know, a lot of times clients don't want to work with you. Uh, but if you're, if you're kind and maybe you're not the best artist in the world, a lot of times that'll, that'll float, um, you know, for you, uh, as far as getting, um, you know, more client work. Cause people want to, want to work with, uh, people that are kind and have a can do attitude and do set boundaries, but aren't, aren't jerks about it. So that's sort of, 
um, it's sort of that that's kind of my journey. Uh, and even uh, with the Wall Street Journal, most of my work was like postage size, you know, illustrations. They were teeny tiny. Um, and it's I, I love talking about this because it leaves so much to the imagination. If I just put up on my website, I work for DreamWorks. That's all I have to put. And people just assume all these things, which is not the case. And, and that's what I don't like about uh, social media is there's no room to kind of say, let me show you all the messy, nasty strings that went with me to be able to put that word there. Um, and so that that has always been you know, that's why I'm always pretty open about it. Sure, I got to work for DreamWorks. I didn't even get my name in the credits. Uh, and it was probably one of the lowliest jobs ever, but I loved every minute of it. And the big thing is that I treated it, I treated every job, whether it was small or large, like it was, uh, I would try to give it, you know, the as much good and and help that I could, uh, or our emotion that I could pour into something uh, within reason. So, um, you know, if... I, I'd always said if I actually ever do get to animate on a feature or a TV show, even if I get the lowliest TV show and I'm working like on on a prop that's a haystack, I'll make it the best haystack ever. So that's the way I kind of look at it. So that's what those the big clients are. And it's the same. I worked with Coke, Coca-Cola. I was a sketch artist. I would actually go in and then when they were having their idea phase, I would sit and sketch and kind of hand them so they'd have a visual um and uh, agencies would call for like Toyota and Snapple. And so, again, it would be like Toyota was like, we need some uh, diagrams to, to show. Uh, I, I did a lot of lifestyle works, like show a woman and a man getting ready to buy a car. And you know, we need this to be able to, for our designers to use as a visual. Uh, Snapple was, they said, hey, we, we want to do some risque pictures of, uh, of a Snapple bottle and, and you know, people doing not weird stuff, but just uh, like Snapple was trying to be the uh, Red Bull at the time. They, mm-hmm. This is before Red Bull was Red Bull. Um, and that would lead to, there's a there's a pantyhose company called Spanx here, which is like mm-hmm. form-fitting pantyhose. And uh, it, it's a big, it's a big deal. Like the lady that did it, um, she started with like nothing. And now it's like an empire that she has. And, and uh so I got to do, you know, they, at, at first when they're trying to get their stuff off the ground, I got to, you know, have a hand in, in developing uh, those things. So that's where the clients are uh, or what client life is like. It's just it's usually messy. It's usually messy and very disorganized and uh, sort of fly by the seat of your pants. All right. And so you've been at this industry for a while, for a long while. Mm-hmm. Around a million years, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, no, I didn't mean like that. Um, yeah, I mean, you said that, like, you were designing some material for a game at the for a Shrek movie, like, well, for the mm-hmm. DVD version. Like, I remember, I it was I think around the time I was like six, seven years old because I remember when we used to buy DVDs. It had like mm-hmm. those menus you could change subtitles and all that, you know. Yeah, they had yep. extra content and feature before mm-hmm. Netflix and YouTube and all that. It was yes, fun time. We we thought we were we had like we were on top of the world. Yeah, that's that, as as it mm-hmm. gets. We had no idea. <laughs> all right. Um, next question: Who are your favorite artists and designers that have inspired you the most? Sure. Um, so. More than anybody, uh, Josh Agel, 
um, who I mentioned before, Shag, he was by far the probably the, he he probably had a pivotal movement in my life because when I saw his work, I was like, oh, my God, this is exactly this is I had such an emotional connection with this. Like, this is exactly what I want to do. Um, artists today. Um, let me pull up my favorites right quick, because, you know, there's always a million. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the big ones, the over the, the ones that were sort of life changing. So Glenn Keane was a big one. That's that's everybody's right. Uh, and then there was another guy that was working on Disney at the same time that Glenn was. And I, I hope I get his name right. Andre Deha. He was responsible for always drawing the skinny guy in all Disney movies like Timon and uh, and the gesture from Punchback. Uh, they all have a certain type of style uh, to them. And so I always liked him growing up or, or the second wave of Disney Renaissance. Um, and then uh, today's artist, Beatrice Blue, man, I couldn't get enough of her work. Um, she's gorgeous. And also, oh, uh, Glenn Brogan and Ragnar. Um are uh, three that, and I can send you links to them too, but mm-hmm. they are, um, they were very influential uh, when I first started. And uh, the now it just, there's, God, there's just so many. I guess one that sort of stands out more than any, I just took a workshop under him was Chris Abel's. Uh, and Chris's work is, he has such a definitive style and, and look and feeling. So uh, that's been a big one. Uh, and then I think, like, if I start naming off a ton of people, I'll just go down a rabbit hole. But I'm just going to flip through real quick just to make sure yeah, there's no, somebody no, else. No problem. <laughs> um, the other one that I, I can't get enough of his work when he posts, and he posts often, is uh, Adam Murphy. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, his work is is just super. And then uh, one, I love her work. I don't have as much of emotional connection, but I do with with her as a person is Lois, um, who uh, I've never seen somebody that has an enormous amount of followers and people that uh, message her all the time, and she takes the time to respond to almost everybody so i mean i sent her a pretty long email just asking her some questions about how and what and how can i do this and she actually wrote back um a fairly lengthy email and it was it was quite nice um and the other one uh the last one is amanda jolly who's uh well she's with netflix now she's uh, she's kind of bounced all over the place um her work, I've always just had such a huge emotional connection with, again, just her exaggerated features and her character designs. Uh, but she is another one that, you know, here's a big top dog that, or top, you know, top feeder fish, however you want to put that, uh, the best words for that. And, you know, I reached out to her and just said, hey, could I ask you a few questions, primarily on age, because uh, she had started in the industry a little bit older. Um, and uh, she was more than happy to, to chat with me and, uh, and it was it was really nice because it's really uh, intimidating to reach out to people because you you think all oh, these big people don't have anything to uh, to say to lowly old me, but in the end we're all just people. We put on our pants the same way, one leg at a time. So uh, it's just yeah. I mean it's it's not. I, I mean everybody's the same. Yeah. Some people may have a god complex, but so that's um, 
those those are probably my bigger influences uh, are those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's actually a pretty interesting thing you pointed out that um, like it could be also the reverse effect of that. You know, as you said, like some people have gone complexes. Some people also have this uh, kind of subconscious feeling that oh, this artist is like not just with artists, like even celebrities or even internet, uh, you know, basic popular famous people, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, but. Like, as you said, all of us are the same. Like, you know, the, the, like, like, the thing that matters is the human connection. And what I'm, mm-hmm. I know I sound really vague, but I'm just going to give an example, you know, to clear it out. I don't, I don't know what is wrong with me today, actually, because I feel like my <laughs> sentences don't form very well. Um, like, when I started the podcast, um, I had really bad confidence issues. I was like, oh, I'm such a small page. I mean, why? I, I, I was I wasn't even confident to message people even with like two three k followers. I don't even know why at that time I would care if someone has four hundred thousand. But I mean, you know how the society and everything is. You know, I just subconsciously I couldn't help it. You know, but then mm-hmm. I, I was like, you know, I just started like you know messaging people and think I was like, what's the worst that's gonna happen? You just shoot your shot, and. Um, mm-hmm. And it's weird. First, I started for to work on my confidence in that sense. I started like messaging like people with two to three k followers. Then it got higher and higher. And someone with mm-hmm. like twenty five thousand followers, I think a really like very famous like shoe designer for Adidas. And like I'm not gonna mention his name, but he basically um, at the time told me that your following is too low and views and stuff like that. And that's the reason I'm kind of, which you know that kind of um, messed with me <laughs> for a while. Yeah. But, but then I started like. Um, and by the way, that was like, I think, yeah, the first, the, yeah, that was the first time that it ever happened that directly, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of experience. Um, but then as I got more confident, I just started messaging anyone, regardless of their like following and like some mm-hmm. big names in the art scene. Like, you know, I would, I would just DM them like with 400,000 count and he would just message me like quickly and say, hey, what's going on? Hey, I'm sorry, my schedule is too... <laughs> stuff like that or um mm-hmm. yeah actually i got some very special people lined up for the month of march um which i'm really excited oh, cool. to which i would have never or uh, for a second i was going to drop an f-bomb i would have never freaking <laughs> thought that you know i could ever be able to you know get them on my podcast and well here mm-hmm. we are and yeah i mean just as you, you you might be surprised that even a, a lot of these huge artists and you know influencers and content creators if you just message them like there's a high chance you're gonna get a response back you know if like yep. and those kind of people it's so obvious that they love what they do that they even dedicate time to you know respond to they just mm-hmm. have to be active in their field. I mean, that's the main thing. Like, for example, a yes. very good example is, is Gary Vaynerchuk. I mean, he's not an artist, quote unquote, but like he's very mm-hmm. famous on going on different people's podcasts. Uh, like, I check mm-hmm. a lot of his like appearances for when he talks about NFT and on all of that. He like he went on this guy's podcast, which he had like twenty subscribers, and you know, like it, when there when there's passion involved, like people just are ready to collaborate you know you, you just need to mm-hmm. just shoot your shot and see what happens and yeah I mean, that's sorry for everyone who it was a bit confusing it just sounded like random bullshit motivational quotes but i mean um yeah all right all right next question what is the main subject of your artworks and what made them interesting to you 
Um, ask that again. I just want to make sure I'm right, interpreting right. right. Um, what is the main subject of your artworks and what made them interesting to you? And by artwork, I don't mean necessarily the works you're commissioned because, I mean, the subjects are already, mm -hmm. you know, specified. But uh, mm -hmm. when it comes to your own personal projects. Uh, so... Um, boy, I, I, there, I, I really like, I was trying to figure out what, uh, I'm trying to give a more concrete answer than the one I want to give. I really like having a lot of fun in my art, I, I guess. And, and I like being like, so, um, I, I guess a good way to put it is I like, I like trying to put a pun in my artwork uh like the bad dad jokes into uh art and i guess the way i look at it when i was a child um in the 80s uh the muppets were huge um like it, that that was like i mean it just kind of took everything by storm the muppet show, show and fraggle rock and uh dark crystal and um labyrinth uh, those were things i i you know i just couldn't get enough of and especially the Muppets, there was always a bad pun. Uh, there was always, and, and also uh, Jim Henson said that a lot of times they would write their jokes into a corner and they didn't have a gag to get it out or anything. So their answer was just to like blow a chicken out of a cannon and that would be the punchline. Cause how do you not laugh at a chicken being fired out of a cannon? Anyway, so uh, as, um, as time went on, uh, uh, another big one, that was a huge influence in my life that got to, I'll get to back to art in a minute was, um, I was, uh, at a, uh, a big camping outing and, uh, somebody had, uh, their radio there and they were blaring something I'd never heard before. And I was like, what is that? And they were like, well, it's a new group called run DMC and they're singing with an old group called Aerosmith. And they've remade the song Walk This Way, and I couldn't get enough of it. So I bought Run DMC's cassette tape and probably listened to it till it completely wore out. Um, and the, not the puns, but the cleverness and the wittiness they put into their raps carried has carried on all the way till now in just different forms. And I've always gone, that is so clever. Uh, it, whether it's a pun or just a good riff on something. So I try to put that in my artwork a lot of times, like what's, what's, what's a funny story, a little bit of a quirk or a little bit of a, of a humorous moment or some levity that I can put into stuff, whether it's a facial feature or a gesture. Uh, and with art, you don't have to make it overly complicated, uh, but to get it, you know, to get the punchline, uh, a lot of times you have to keep it simple. So I try to put that playfulness into my art a lot of times. Uh, I don't tend to go moody. I do every so often, but mainly my stuff is just fun. Um, and so when I'm drawing for myself, I, I love, uh, I've always loved really strong women and not like, you know, muscular, although that's great too. But like, for some reason, when I was a kid, uh, one of the first things that I ever kind of was, you know, something that turned out, you know, a light switch that turned on to me was uh, the story of Helen Keller. And I couldn't get enough that, you know, this woman was blind and deaf 
and still went on to just kick much ass through uh, through the world. Um, you know, uh, and so there was stuff like that. Harriet Tubman, Tubman and Rosa Parks were, you know, at the, it, just to see women who should just kind of roll over or were expected to roll over, turned around and just were like, no. Uh, and they put their foot down and, uh, you know, Amelia Earnhardt, Susan B. Anthony, uh, all these are, you know, American icons, but they just these people that just uh, were resilient. So I've always loved that uh, type of persona. So I'll try to put that into my work and I don't, Sometimes I do, but I don't try to oversex uh, women in my art. I try to just give them tough, you know, personas. Uh, and, and that has always been a, a favorite of mine uh, to do. But, you know, mainly people. I really, really enjoy people. I don't mind drawing animals at all, but I, I like people more because it's more of a challenge to me. And in uh, something fun or whimsical and, uh, you know, magical. And it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be like magical, like Harry Potter waving a wand. It could just be something magical that connects to somebody. So, uh, but a lot of times I try to, I try to at least make sure there's a story going on in my work. Um, I, I'm pretty guilty about, well, I just wanted to make that look cool. But, you know, this day and age, I'm like, well, what's the motivation? What's the story? Because basically you're drawing a little actor uh, on the screen and you want that actor to connect with, uh, you know, the the people uh, that are viewing it. So, uh, that's that's kind of uh, where my head's at uh, with that. So, um, so mainly it's that that's usually what I'll go to for my personal art, and where that drops from is is uh, very very strong uh, strong willed women throughout history have have been a big influence for that for me. All right. Yeah. I mean, I kind of I kind of see what you mean about that. Um, actually, for me, um, since like. I was like 10 or 11, I used to, like basically women in, I used to read a lot of history, I was a history geek, and like reading mm-hmm. about, like I think you mentioned Emily Reinhardt, was her name, the, the female pilot that tried Earhart. to travel, yeah, yeah Earhart, sorry, the point is that Ryan mm-hmm. Reinhardt is an overwatch mm-hmm. character, I don't know why did I say that, Yeah. Um, and of course, unfortunately, airplane crash, like, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, I think, in a cliche, and, and and uh, kind of like a thing that niche that should be i think more mentioned in uh, entertainment and fiction as well um yeah that, that's good that's a really interesting subject with a lot of potential and with that added away let's move on to the next question what technologies and softwares do you mostly use for your works sure i religiously use adobe photoshop almost for everything for decades all i ever used was adobe illustrator uh and now i use a mix of photoshop and blender the three the free 3d modeling program uh that's been a beast to learn but uh been awesome to learn it uh the the ability to lay out something quickly in 3d and then bring it over to photoshop and use it as a as a guide uh for if you're going to draw like a uh series of buildings or something it makes it so much easier and faster uh to do that so the main two are photoshop and blender but um uh, almost always photoshop and uh, i use a i use a tablet uh it's uh, it's a 24 inch xp pen and the reason i didn't go with a wacom I was terrified that i get a wacom had invested 
all that money and never use it. So uh, for a fraction of the price, I went with XP Pen, and I've got no complaints. I, I, I'm sure Wacom does things better, but this does everything just fine. So those are the, the three, but I still carry, if I go out, I still carry a sketchbook and a pencil and using my go-to pencil, which is not the right one for artists, but I like it as a mechanical pencil. Um, and I've got one with blue uh, lead and one with red lead. And, and uh, you know, if I've got a five minutes, I'll sketch. Due to the lockdown, I don't get out that much, so I haven't sketched as much as I used to. But I, I used to love to go to coffee shops and bars and draw people. Yeah. And um, any advice and tips for a good portfolio and resume for artists? Sure. I, so to answer that, it's sort of what you brought up about reaching out to people. So in the world, there are gatekeepers they're usually known as HR the, or the account executive, executive assistant. However, that is said now. Those are the people with the power. Um, they, they let you in or they don't let you in. So if your resume doesn't have the right buzzwords in it, they're probably just going to you know, throw your uh, resume right out, skip right over it. In all the major jobs I've ever gotten, <clears throat> it was because I went around that and I got to know the people around that. And when I say got to know the people, I don't, if, if I can't be friends with somebody, I don't, or, or if I can't have a connection with somebody, I don't really pursue it. So I, I guess one, I, I, this is not art related, but job related. So I was, uh, um, I had taken a class, a figure drawing class, uh, later on in, in uh, like in the mid nineties at uh, UAB, which is university of Alabama, Birmingham. And, uh, the teacher and I had gotten along pretty well. And then years later I met him at a party and he's like, Hey, I remember you. And I heard you're doing like web design now. And I've always liked your artwork. Uh, would you consider teaching at UAB? And I was, I was like jobless at the time because, you know, the recession had just completely just wiped me out. And I was like, Oh yeah, I can work. And, uh, so because of him who went to the head director at the art school in at UAB, they just hired me that way. So I never even saw uh, a teacher. And then I used to do triathlons and I would always be racing next to a guy. And so we'd always kind of chit chat before or after a, uh, a race and he would constantly just beat the pants off of me. I could never catch him, which made it even more fun. But one day we were getting ready to go for the swim portion of the race. And we actually, they would take you out on a boat and they boat you out and you dive off in the boat and swim back to shore. And he was like, you know, we're looking for an artist. And I've been looking at your work at, on, oddly enough, at Facebook. Uh, would you consider working for us? And I was like, sure. So again, I never even, uh, I never even, I never even submitted a resume to them. Like they just kind of hired me because they saw my work on social media or they hired me because I was really funny or kind, you know, years beforehand. So I've always looked at you, me uh, as a living resume. Um, and, and what that means is being kind to every, you know, I've said this a hundred times, but it, it really is the magic key being kind to everybody 
if you don't like the person or if there's no connection, there's no, it, it doesn't cost any money at all to be kind to somebody. And a lot of times it comes back as a, as a good thing uh, for you. So uh, I don't like, I try to be really authentic and I don't just like go, if like somebody has like a gabillion followers or super celebrity, I try to treat them the same way if some, if I met somebody that didn't even know what a social media was or had drawn like three pictures, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that, that's a big one for me. As far as a resume, like, uh, I, it's it it depends on who you ask. I've always had roughly about twenty images. Uh, I keep it on my website, um, and I have a rotating in of about twenty or twenty five images. You can see them all there. They're kind of you know archived, but for the most part, I just want uh, somebody to be able to look at it, distinguish. Yes, we'd like to work with this person. No, we don't, and move on. So I think twenty gives enough people to kind of glance and see your work. And if they want to see more, you know, they can click to see more. Uh, as far as the resume, I have one big one and it's, it's huge. And it's, it's sort of like a formality, but I think it's one that people skip. Uh, always write a heartfelt cover letter. I don't write, I mean, I'm careful about what I write, but I don't write uh, a formal dear sir and or madam. Uh, if I'm applying somewhere, I look at, what somebody you know what their company is what the vibe is and i kind of structure things to that like if they're cool and chill i'll write a cool and chill place if they're like disney or nickelodeon i still give a personal authentic cover letter but i try to keep it a little more formal and there is an app i've been using for forever called grammarly uh it's free but if you if you pay a little bit more you can have the app and mm -hmm. it'll store all your documents so i actually have like templates of like if I'm applying for a character design position I actually already have that template done so I'll I'll kind of fill in the, the gaps but I always try to I, I know that an HR person is reading it but I always try to give some kind of me in it uh, and it's kind of like going out on a date you know if you if you have a date even if it's casual in my brain you kind of want to look your best and be on your best behavior so I try to do that but my best is still me. Um, it's just I make sure that you know dress nice and whatever. So that that's what I try to pull into the cover letter. But like I said, I truly believe a living resume. And also, uh, as far as Instagram and uh, and a few other social media accounts I use, I try to be open and like. So if a recruiter sees me, they see who I am and uh, go, oh, I'd love to work with this person or go, eh, you know, maybe not. And so, you know, uh, I'm very open about um, my feelings. And also because uh, I'm a little bit older now, you know, uh, that is one that kind of eats at you a little bit. So I'm really open about that. And I talk about age and, and uh, working with Gen Z and millennials, <clears throat> which was weird because when I started, they were either non-existent or one or two. Uh, but uh, most, of, most of the people I've worked with, the art directors are, are now, you know, a good 15 years younger than me, which is fine. And again, I treat them like people and they have always treated me like a people. So it, it's always been kind of good. But I guess the two big ones are your living resume, how you present yourself uh, on social media can sometimes make or break your job. And always write a cover letter. I, it, it just, it amazes me when people don't. Uh, so I always try to, I mean, it is kind of a pain in the ass to have to write them, but it also, it, it helps reflect you and why you want a job uh, at said place. 
Yeah, I mean, I actually loved what you said about, like, in a nutshell, in if I could, yeah, basically, if I want to wrap everything you said in a nutshell, is the word authenticity. And um, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, like, to add to that, I want to also mention that I ne- I know it's good to always be formal. I mean, that's like the safest thing to do, trying to. Mm-hmm. And I guess, like, you know, they usually people find some cookie cutter template for a cover letter or resume, and they try to, like, structure it in a way for that company. It's not a bad thing, but um, here's the thing. It's like a chicken without any flavor, you know? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. there's no spice to it. Yes. Just add, add your own spice to it. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. And, um, all right, let's move on to the next question. What are you working on right now that you can tell us about? What kind of project is it? Sure, man. Wow, that's a great one. So um, currently, uh, again, to be completely open and transparent, I don't have uh, clients. Um, I'm in a very, very good spot uh, in life that my wife and I can let me work on building a portfolio. There is a podcast put on by FZD School. And of course, I can't remember the guy's name and I feel terrible about that. But my friend, uh, recommended me to listen to it and I can send you the specific links to them. Um, in the podcast, uh, it's a guy that works for star Wars, um, and the concept. And he was talking about what goes into a concept portfolio. And he was talking about, yes, uh, uh, you know, drawing that cool castle with no story does look cool on social media. It does get you a lot of likes, but recruiters don't know what to do with that. Uh, people that are going, we need an artist for X, Y, Z, don't know what to do with it. And he's like, for a good sound portfolio, making a project um, that is consistent, has a story, stays to a story. So uh, he, he was talking about reimagining a book or an old movie and bring it in today's terms. And I thought, okay, I need to do that. And I need to work on environments and I need to work on backgrounds and I need to work on character design and I need to work on um, what's called moment pieces or concepts or illustrations. How can I do all this? And I was like, well, I'll pick a movie. Well, so e- it's easy to like pick Lord of the Rings because you get everything right. Or, you know, trolls and orcs and wizards and little hobbits and elves. And so that would be just a dream come true to do that, but it's done so much. And same thing with nursery rhymes. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, go to like Red Riding Hood and do their version of Red Riding Hood. So I did some brainstorming. I used to take Mondays are my research day. Like I don't draw at all, just like work uh, on research. And so I did a big brainstorm of what should I pick as a movie to reimagine and so I picked one from the 80s that was my favorite as a kid which was Splash which was about a mermaid that gets to New York and it's got Tom Hanks and John Candy and Eugene Levy is the bad guy in it and Daryl Hannah is the mermaid and they didn't use any special effects in it whatsoever uh, Daryl's in a uh, skin suit uh, for the mermaid part and I thought I'll just do um, that as a uh, as a, as a realization of movies. So I'm trying to treat it as I got asked to do everything, the character design, the props, the backgrounds. Uh, and so I take each week and I do four uh, pieces from it a week. So like uh, today was to, to draw character concepts of what the Tom Hanks character will look like. Next week I'll work on the Dana, uh, Daryl Hannah character. Uh, you know, what does a moment piece look like? So I've watched the movie several times, but you know, trying to reimagine, well, how would this look like in 2021? 
and how would it look like as an animated movie and how do you distinguish it from a movie that came out five years later which is called the little mermaid so um you can't if you give the mermaid red hair well you're finished because you just made ariel even if it's was completely different so uh you know how do you distinguish those things so it's a lot of problem solving uh, I, i'm going to put things up over time on on uh social media but for now i haven't it's not that I'm holding anything secret. I just kind of want the pieces to be sort of spot on. Uh, so that has been, you know, uh, I, I think they call it a BHAG, uh, big, hairy, audacious goal or big, hairy ass goal, however you want to say it. But it's um, that's been what I'm going to just focus on because it gives me evil scientist and plucky antagonist and his uh his silly brother and a mermaid and a not mermaid and you get to draw new york and you get to draw Kit cod and you get to draw the ocean and uh and some of those magic moments from new york which you know a lot of times when a movie does it right it captures it really well and how do you keep it in an 80s vibe and and all this fun stuff to, to put in there so that's what i've been that's the big thing i've been working on uh, other than that, I try to just continuously improve. Um, and so with full disclosure, uh, I'm 47 years old and uh, I have never thought, well, I've made it. I'm done. I've done the best I can do. And so I constantly take classes and workshops and uh, and always try to re not reinvent myself as far as everything, but it, like my old work versus my new work. My old work was very angular and poppy, and now I try to go to more of an ink style with more dynamic. But the the thing is, that's a constant is I try to put me in it, which is generally playful and, and fun. And that was another thing with Splash. It is a playful and fun movie with just a little bit of drama, but it's more on the uh, just, you know, it's a love story. And uh, there's there's uh, mainly lightheartedness and so there's enough dark brooding stuff out there by other people so i'll just stick to the lighthearted stuff so all that to say that's the big project all right awesome looking forward to it. definitely post it on anything that comes up on instagram social media sure. to see what's going on mm-hmm. and definitely. um what area beside the area you're working on right now would you be interested to explore and learn in the future given if you had more free time uh what what area i would look at doing more if i had more free time so i've got all the free time in the world right now which is kind of awesome but you'd be surprised how quick it gets filled up by working if i could do anything i would split the day to learn more 3d modeling not so much that i I, I don't know. I've just always loved building with that. Uh, and honestly, had I had unlimited funds, um, I would get, there's the VR setup and there's a program called Quill. And so you actually put on the headset. I, I've gotten to do a demo and actually there's a, there's a famous Vimeo video of Glenn Keane using one of the first versions of it. Uh, my friend has a VR set and he has the app. So you actually grab the controller yeah, put the mask on. Yeah. yeah, and as soon as you're in there, you're in the world. You're not you're not looking at a screen. You're you're building around you and it's it's fascinating. Uh, the the crap that I put together in it was was not fascinating. In fact it was actually embarrassing how bad it was. But if I had the time I would 
and of course the funds i would i would invest in a very sound uh 3d or uh, vr system and then i would um learn quill i think q i l l is the name of the app um so that would be that would be fun but but mainly uh the the bucket list before I kick the bucket is to at least get to work for Disney once uh, on a on a feature or a TV um, and and just to build up you know I, I've always said if I could just do one frame and one movie and have my names in the credit it can be that big I uh, I would that that would be the the ultimate bucket list for me and so that's what I'm working towards uh, I've got a little time as far as unlimited free time. And then, then after that, I, I, I'll probably go back into, uh, if I, if I don't do that, I'll move into a more of a creative design position, which it's always been kind of a fallback, but, uh, currently we're okay to, for me to, to do that. So, um, uh, most of my life has been in Photoshop all day long and learning 3d or getting better at it. But if the ability to have VR and, and develop like augmented reality and, and build worlds within a, a 3d environment, because I think we'll move once mm-hmm. they kind of improve uh, VR. I think we'll all have like little goggles that we'll have on and screens will kind of go away, which actually yeah. probably wouldn't be a bad thing for energy use. But um, I think we'll, we'll get to that point. We're not there yet, but um once Apple probably cashes in on VR, mm-hmm. it'll probably, you know, it's just sort of like everything that when Apple builds it, you know, I'm not trying to fanboy out, but when they build it, that's when the critical mass comes. So mm-hmm. um, we'll see. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's the long version of that question mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. Awesome. And actually, um, I think another guest that I had on, I'll also mention the Quill program and like and a, a good mm-hmm. example, they told me, uh, I thought they, yeah, I think they said that blew my mind. Like, you know, that made me realize, wow, the possibilities that is available is that, for example, you could design a spaceship mm-hmm. in 3D and you expand mm-hmm. it and you can yes. design the interiors. That mm-hmm. That's just so amazing. Oh, yeah. 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 I think we'll get there. We're not there yet, but I, I think mm-hmm. that'll just be probably, you know, story driven, interactive virtual reality environments and and uh you know that it that would be very exciting to get to to design mm-hmm. all right now um with everything that's been said and done on the, in this episode to conclude all the discussed give us a roadmap for someone who's zero in visual arts and design and wanted to get to the place you are in terms of skill set like um, basically give us sure. a roadmap step by step what books courses okay. anything that could come to your mind yeah so um, I fall prey to what book, what brush, what program. And it, I'm going to go a different route, but I'm got to pull up a quote to do it. I should have had this beforehand. But... Okay. So, uh, again, I'll, I will attempt to keep this brief. So, um, I am average is average comps. I, I, there's nothing superhuman about me or anything. And I, I say that because, uh, when about eight years ago now, um, I did, uh, a famous mountain bike race, which starts in Canada and ends in Mexico. And, uh, it's 3000 miles across the continent. Wow. Bike. And it's not, it's not road you're on trails and backwoods and there's bears and there's shifty looking people and it is a race you don't have help 
nobody gives you a hand. Uh, nobody is there to hand you water. If your tire flattens out in the middle of the woods, well, you're responsible for it. And uh, um, I always wanted to do it. And at the time I was, you know, I, I had no business even being on a bicycle. I, I'd rent a bike when I was a kid. And so the short version is I trained and trained and then I flew up to Banff and I raced and I got fourth place out of 180 people, well, fourth in my division. And, uh, and there's 180 people that raced that year and like hardly, I mean, half the field quit. And that was from people all over the world that I raced against. And before that, you know, like I, I couldn't even get up a hill, whereas this race was like climbing Mount Everest seven times uh, the height. I think it's 200,000 feet of elevation across like the Colorado mountains and the and the, uh, the Canada mountains. And again, I can't stress enough, there's bears that would love to eat you uh, on there. And there are really weird, shifty characters that don't want to have anything to do with you uh, while you're riding your bike through their little tiny towns. So I look at art that way, um, just less physical so the longer thing is is that uh since i was at zero with a bike and this is what you're asking about somebody that's starting from zero um i was like well okay so it's three thousand miles or right, the the 2743 miles if i'm rounding up there's three thousand miles in this race how am i going to do it well the first thing i got to be able to do is ride really long on a bike i got around 15 miles on my first training day and about passed out so that didn't work out well. So what I did is I contracted out. I, I had a friend who was a coach who had done long distance cycling and he needed graphic design done for his business. And I was like, look, get me across this uh, race and I will do all your graphic design. So we, we didn't exchange money. We exchanged services. He helped me learn about how to ride long distance and I helped him with his graphic design. So that's the first thing is using you know a skill that you have um, to help somebody out. So they help you out. Second of all, the training that I did had nothing to do with the best bike, the right bike. Uh, it had a lot to do with diet and exercise and even exercise. I didn't go to a gym for any of this stuff. Like I had a jump rope and some weights, like a little flexi weights and stuff. And I had a, an old beat up bike that I rode till it about fell to pieces. Um, when I got to Canada, uh, I'd, I'd done enough um, marketing on myself to get sponsored. I didn't have to pay for my bike, and the bike was very nice. Uh, and uh, I also had uh, done fundraisers. This is back before GoFundMe and everything, um, or GoFundMe had gotten really, had not gotten popular. I kept a blog uh, and a diary of everything I was doing every day. I would post, well, I'd post about four days a week, but I always was very open about all my training. And I didn't say, look at me, I'm the best cyclist. I was like, here's what I learned. Here's what I did. Here's what I gained. And over it, you would learn about the best bike part not like the flashiest bike part or the coolest bike part, just like, oh, this will help me, you know, get up. This gives me a mechanical advantage for climbing up mountains and stuff. So let's go all the way back to art. Um, it's the same thing. The best pencil or the best brush is the one you use. Uh, and I, I would, I, I mean, certainly, sure, there's, I, I've got a hundred Photoshop brushes and I've got course after course you can take, but it's really the one you take and stick with. Um, so if you are going to learn 
uh, visual design, find uh, a mentor or somebody that is reasonable and do your research heavily on this person or this this school of thought and stick with it. Uh, if you know if you're going to keep a social media presence and you're at zero, don't like post something and get pissed off because it got like one like and that was your mother. Um, who accidentally liked it and then unliked it later and then unfollowed you. I it don't, it, the way you should start is day one, I posted this, it's crap, but here's what I learned. And then day two, I posted this, it's crap, here's what I learned. Uh, there is a girl, a lady, a lady, um, let me find her, that I just absolutely love seeing her stuff. So her... Uh, her name is Valerie Riker. Uh, she is under uh, Instagram as Valerie.draws.daily. Uh, and she draws daily and she writes about what she's doing, what she's learning, uh, how transparent and open it is. And she is. And if you watch her progress over time, you just you, you've just seen like this evolution. And so she's fascinating to watch. I did it for a while. Uh, on Instagram, actually, I did it for like two years. I post daily, but uh, it got to the point where it was just it was wasn't serving me anymore. But as far as a course, um, the the best thing that I've ever learned is uh, drawing forms correctly in three D perspective. Um, the ability to draw a sphere and a cylinder and a cone and a box and um, and bend them in 3D space has been more valuable than anything else I've ever learned. The other thing that I am passionate about is design. And that is a lot different than just accuracy or figure drawing or gestures or uh, 3D modeling. Design to me is like the heart and uh, what connects to somebody. Um, like there's Disney movies that I see that I'm just like, all my heart, you know, this is the best thing ever. And other people are like, that's dumb. But to that person, they see something and they connect to. So, but the thing is, if you don't put your heart in it, you can tell a lot of times with movies that just kind of were copycats or uh, like the big one is like, I, I have like fallen in love with TikTok. It is so freaking fun to go and see little pigs uh, running around and puppies and kittens. And it's very positive and I never see politics and it's wonderful for my brain. Um, but uh, I did notice that over time, there's a lot of copycats on TikTok. And so they're doing it just to get the likes um, and people can smell that a mile away. So, um, you know, for design, learning design is hard. Uh, and starting with that, um, there's people that, that do teach or have gum roads uh, that you can do for strictly design. The one that I like the most is Ty Carter. Um, his gum road account, his Patreon account are really good. And then Loish. Uh, for design is uh, her Patreon. She's $5 a month. And like every month she just kind of gives away the farm. Like she's literally spilling out everything that she knows does and just gives it away for, well, for $5 a month, you get all that. On top of that, you can ask her a question and she'll respond to it. 
Uh, so those people uh, for design, to me, just make it where, you know, you, when I look at Lois's work, I'm just like, oh, my God, you know, like, I just want to live in that world. Uh, and same thing with Ty. Ty knows how to there's a lot of tricks about like uh, learning big, medium and small and stuff. And once you see it, you see it. The other big one, if you're going to go in visual design is studying movies. And I'm, I don't mean just like sitting and going, oh, yeah, look at that. Uh, like actually going shot by shot and looking at what makes a movie a movie. Probably one of the best one for visual design is like Breaking Bad uh, like their stuff their attention to detail to everything in that movie not just I mean the story is great but if you go and look at all the visual representation of the colors and how things are constructed and why they're constructed and what that what's the meaning in every single piece it's amazing uh, so those are if you want to go the design route that you know I would I would pick up going uh, through uh, you know like study in visual design and what that means in composition and, and color and color theory. A book that I would swear by, which has disappeared, oh, there it is, is this one, um, Visions. Um, All right, and colorist it's, composition. It's by, yep, it's by Hans, H-A-N-S, mm-hmm. Bacher, B-A-C-H-E-R. And uh, that book should be required reading for everybody. And you can usually, it's expensive as all get out. So on uh, Amazon, but if you go to a used bookstore, it's like not expensive at all. So that would be where I'd start. But I mean, mainly don't look at it as art. Look at it as you're training a skill. And it really, you know, if, if the only pencil you have is like a number two lead pencil, just use the hell out of it, you know, and, and learn that. And, but don't go and buy the, 52 pencil set because somebody, an influencer said on Instagram, you should get that pencil set because it doesn't matter. You know, if you don't, if that pencil set sits in a, in a box and never gets used, it, it didn't help you. So um, I, I think for forever, I just used a, a, a lead stick, you know, for, for a lot of my uh, drawing stuff. So that's, um, you know, I, I, if, if that answers the question, that's the long one. But, you know, just treat it, treat it as learning, mastering a skill, not trying to make art. I mean, art comes through it. But mm-hmm. that's that's what I would do. Well, thank you so much for coming by. This we've come to the end. And I'm going to be honest, this was like one of the most educational oh. episodes I had nice. like for a while. Like, I mean, by educational, I mean, not just, you know, drawing lessons but also a lot of like life lessons we can learn from your experience and um where can people contact you if they had any questions or wanted to you know check your work sure um i try to keep things consistent across (laughs) the board so basically if you just go to a browser and type in uh s thick so s t is in tom h is in hello i is in igloo g is in girl dot art uh, that will um, that will get you there, or you can just type in my name. Uh, it, there's like two or three of us, but I used to come up to the top. But Scott and Thickpen, and that'll get you anywhere. But Instagram's what I use a lot. TikTok's what I love. And oh, before I forget, you were talking about life's things. So this is one quote that I live by, and um, I, I meant to say this and got distracted. <laughs> no problem. Um, Cal- Calvin Coolidge. Um, so somebody sent me this quote back in the '90s when I was trying to get started, and I have I have had this in my brain since since then, which is nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. 
genius will not, unrewarded genius is almost a proverb, and education will not, the world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination uh, alone are omnipotent. And there's a lot of, you can argue a lot of that, but the thing is, you can be smart and just kind of sit around with your arms folded and that's not going to get you where. And you can, um, you can have talent, but if you don't do anything with it, um, it, it doesn't mean anything. And the same thing with um, the other one, uh, genius. You know, I, I know lots of lots of super smart people uh, that just don't, and educated people that don't do anything with their stuff. So yep. being persistent, it, you know, even when you're through your follies and stuff, it's good. So I wanted to get that one in. But yeah, sthick.art uh, gets me get you anywhere or just my name scott thickpin will usually i'll come up as uh, as the google search all right well that's about it everyone who ladies and gentlemen who listened to this episode thank you all so much and we'll see you in the next episode have a good day bye